my sole purpose in life is to continue to make the city of Athens, you know, attractive, uh, accepting, warm. Welcome to 457 SEO, a place for stories, information, and observations about Southeastern Ohio. I'm Aaron Payne. I'm Atish Baidya. And I'm Susan Temin. In this episode, we'll be speaking to Jan Griesinger, an ordained reverend and a card-carrying lesbian. She tells us her perspective on Athens County and the unique community she helped create in it. But first, Athens Mayor Steve Patterson sits down with us to discuss infrastructure issues affecting the Athens County seat. First of all, thank you for having me. I'm Steve Patterson, the mayor of the city of Athens and also former faculty member in the psychology department for 18 years. I'm not a native of Athens, Ohio, but I'll tell you what, when I came here in 1998 to interview for a job at OU, it's one of those moments, and you hear this all the time, don't you, is that it's like you had me at hello. It's just like this place is awesome, yeah. uh, and I've never turned back. It's yeah. just I my sole purpose in life is to continue to make – the city of Athens, you know, attractive, uh, accepting, warm. You're not teaching anymore? Is that, cause, I'm not. Uh, is that because being a mayor is sort of your full-time thing now or it for is. other reasons? Oh, there's other reasons. Uh, but number one is that mayor, being a mayor in the city of Athens, it's a strong mayor position, so it's full-time. We have, we're a statutory city, mm-hmm. and so therefore um, it's a mayor council form of government. Along with that, you can't have two quote-unquote bosses uh, or masters. So I was when I was full-time at OU uh, and teaching – the uh, so that you don't have any level of conflict of interest. I resigned my tenure, um, which it was a real. Uh, That's a big deal. Put a lot of thought into that. Yeah. Correct. Uh, there was a lot of conversation with my wife uh, and family, and but they understood and feel the same way that I do is the importance of the city of Athens and to be in this, you know, having the honor of being the mayor. Um, was worth living my year, my life in four-year chunks as opposed to. Uh, having tenure and having job security for as long as I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Again, it was was hard. I, I'll have to say probably the hardest thing was walking uh, out of the classroom. Um, I am, a, I think, in my genes, an instructor. I love teaching. I loved engaging. I still love to engage. One of the things that I do as mayor um, is that I will meet with the third grade classes from the elementary schools uh, and I was even asked this past year to come and engage with a third grade class at Alexander out in Albany, which uh, I don't know had been done before. Mm. I love that because it's it's teaching government within an hour span of time to uh, third graders, and I think they enjoy it too. I, you know, when I'm walking up and down Court Street, especially this past summer, I had a, a young uh, former third grader um, with his parents you know, stop mid-sidewalk and, and said, you're the mayor. And I said, yes, I am. And their parents are kind of like, oh, how do you know the mayor? So it's, I enjoy that. I enjoy, uh, like I said, uh, engaging on multiple levels um, when it comes to educating and being educated as well. I, one of the things I've found myself really having to come up to speed on, um, not that I wasn't aware, but to understand the challenges is connectivity um, in the state of Ohio and in particular in southeastern Ohio and trying to better understand how do we um, start leveling the playing field when it comes to education, employment, uh, even medicine to some degree when it comes to broadband connectivity and uh, making sure that southeastern Ohio is not being left behind just because of our our demographics, our ge- uh, the uh, um, the terrain out here, the topography, and things like that. Um, so, uh, and that's been a huge learning mm-hmm. curve too, trying to understand all the the pitfalls and 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 opportunities that there mm-hmm. are surrounding connectivity. And that actually leads to something that we ask every person that's on here, which is what does Athens County need and what does Southeast Ohio need and how do we get it? Do you think do you think that is the biggest thing that we need? I'm not going to say that's the biggest thing that we need. I think it is one of, of um, several big needs that we have uh, is connectivity and I think most importantly is the last mile. You know, and when we're referring to the last mile as we're talking to – 
to areas that have you know no access. Um, it could be a, a resident. Uh, it could be areas that could be uh, lacking in terms of the ability to attract businesses because you don't have broadband for whatever reason in your area, or you don't have high-speed broadband. Um, you know, you look at a lot of businesses that are looking at potential areas, uh, municipalities um, for for bringing business, for bringing industry, or, you know, an economic development tool. Uh, they're looking to see what's your broadband capability. And, uh, you know, a lot of what we do have in Athens, uh, as well as Athens County, is is wire um, as opposed to fiber. Um, I was just just got a report just recently, and it's interesting in terms of coverage type to share with you. Uh, wire of all types, Athens, uh, Athens unto itself. We have 91.5 percent of various types of wire feed. But when it comes to fiber optic, which really amps up your game in terms of, of download speeds, um, we have zero in the city of Athens um, in terms of coverage type. In Athens County, um, for all wire types, it's 67 uh, percent, just north of 67 percent. They have a little bit more when it comes to fiber um, within the county. But again, it's not great. It's 0.6 percent. And you look at that in, in light of what we see at the state level, the average across the state, uh, it's over 10%. And then you look at the U.S. in the average, and we're, we're looking at 25.4%. Uh, so we're, we're behind the power curve uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to fiber. I um, mean, when you have fiber, you're, you're easily going into that realm of having 100 gigabits down, uh, you know, cap- capacity. Um, and then your upload speeds are, again, a fraction of that. But that's important. Again, a lot of businesses are, are looking for that. A lot of uh, developers are looking for, you know, what's your, what's your uh, high-speed internet look like? What, what do you have? What's your capacity? So. And as far as the people of Athens, what does having that sort of access mean to them? What would that mean to them to have that sort of connection? You know, I think it would open up the doors of possibility for someone, uh, you know, having a home office to where maybe they're, you know, working through Etsy and, and selling products. Or, or uh, you can be a software developer or an app developer, and you just need that capacity to sit there and, and stream down, but also to upload. You know, you need a larger bandwidth to upload your product, whatever that product may be. Um, as you know, Susan, I was uh, attended the uh, uh, Appalachian, Ohio, and West Virginia Connectivity Summit, which mm-hmm. was up in Marietta not too long ago. And uh, it was really fascinating to see, you know, that this isn't uh, necessarily a southeastern Ohio um, issue and and problem that needs to be solved. You know, you see it in West Virginia. You see it. Uh, we had people that that were presenting from Kentucky uh, and elsewhere, um, and and really interesting video that we got to watch um, about um, uh, pine tops, uh, North Carolina, I believe, and some of the issues where they did. They were a gigabyte city, mm-hmm. uh, and some of the challenges that they had. But in listening to what the businesses were, it was fascinating that you know. You could be you know, in the comfort of your home office, and you're you you need that level of bandwidth, um, and it, you're you know you're creating, you're enhancing the ability for your community to uh, continue to push economic development. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Has that been something on your radar, or were there other things on your sort of like to do list? before this came onto it. No. And, and, and then I also want to know what, what else was on your to-do list when you first came into office. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, it has been on my radar. Um, I would say it's been, it has been exponentially increasing its way up my, my uh, <laughs> I don't want to-do your list. Priority list. Priority list is a good way to do or, it. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it, uh, I've been engaged in a number of meetings with the uh, international um the uh, uh, ICF, uh, Intelligent Communities Forum. And um, I've been to several of those meetings up in Dublin where the uh, there's a group who gets together. Yeah, what is the Intelligence Community Forum? The Intelligence Community Forum is a forum um, where we discuss, again, connectivity, um, high-speed broadband, um, fiber. 
Um, Dublin has hosted it. The city manager for Dublin uh, is an individual named Dana McDaniels. Um, and the city of Dublin is, in, in a lot of ways, uh, a real interesting model for how they leveraged, uh, took a gamble and leveraged broadband. It started out, uh, and fiber in particular, they, it started out where Dublin wanted to, as I understand it, Dublin wanted to connect their city buildings, have their, all their city buildings connected um, using fiber. Um, and then um, they also realized, well, we could we can also use, uh, not use all of our fiber for connecting the municipal buildings. We can use part of the fiber for economic development to where it, you can incentivize um, tech companies, you can incentivize anybody, really, who needs would like to have fiber by by parsing off uh, X percent of your fiber bundle, and you can use that to incentivize them um, with the caveat that you need to demonstrate job production or or other models that are out there. Is it the municipality can lease um, fiber um, to a business to come in, so it's it's there as a tool. And then you can keep some of your fiber as just dark fiber. Um, <clears throat> And so, attending the the um, ICF meetings, um, and uh, the other member from the city who's been deeply engaged in those is the director for engineering and public works, Andy Stone. And uh, together, he and I have attended these meetings. Um, we've been to two or three, I think, and some of them have been strategic planning meetings, which is really kind of, I think outstanding that there have been rural communities and there's two of us and I'm blanking on who the second one is so I apologize for that but Athens is one of them uh, who's been at the table in the ICF the, a lot of the other people who attend are from you know the three C's uh, they're from uh, other municipalities that have some level of fiber um, as well as as companies um, that uh, are uh, broadband providers who come in or at least they they know how to operate in that world so we we uh, have been discussing um, how we continue to expand broadband capabilities. Um, and again, Andy and I are looking at how do we expand it down in Athens, Ohio. So, so long answer to your question. Um, it is up there. It's pretty high because I, I see it in a number of different ways, Atish. I see it that where we can, um, if we can enhance our fiber capabilities uh, in southeastern Ohio, and I'll be... I'll start by being Athens County centric. If we can enhance it in Athens County, if you think about it, we have um, not only a high university here, uh, we have Hawking College, we have um, a number of municipalities that could benefit from having this if we're able to uh, leverage assets that already exist as well as creating our own. Um, we also have five school districts in the uh, within Athens County. Um, I think all five of those could really benefit from having high-speed broadband as well. Um, in, and um, this may sound pie in the sky, but I, I, I don't think so. Uh, personally, uh, if, we, if there could be a backbone that's developed all the way down the 33 corridor, um, you may be aware of this, that there is a smart corridor that is between Dublin and Marysville. Um, that came out in the conversations that we were engaged in up in Marietta. Um, and... Uh, there's a part of me that believes we should be possibly expanding that, that smart corridor um, and to include, again, a multitude of layers to make this whole thing possibly work. Um, it would be fascinating it someday in the near future, or the future anyway, to where, you know, students in the five school districts in Athens County how intriguing would it be if they could be online, you know, uh, intelligent classroom sharing with students in Dublin? Uh, Dublin is getting high-speed broadband into all the public schools uh, in the Dublin area. Um, and I was just sitting there thinking, you know, what if, you know, German were being taught at uh, 10 a.m. and everybody could get on at the same time and learn German and not only learn German, but start breaking down the cultural divides that we see all over the place that, oh, you're from Appalachia. You know, it's like, no, we're still human beings. We still bleed red, um, you know, and, uh, you know, our tears are the same as anybody else. So, it's, yeah. So, so this high, do you, how do you see building this infrastructure of, of, of fiber and high-speed internet, what, what kind of, how do you envision in terms of what kind of industries would that attract? Are we talking, you know, Facebook is putting a data center in in um, New mm -hmm. Albany. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Amazon is opening up a, a, another cloud data center up in the Columbus area. Uh, Governor Kasich just talked about recently on the record saying that they're pu- publicly saying they're trying to attract a Foxconn a manufacturing facility in Ohio someplace. What kind of industry are you looking that are you seeing the fiber optic and high speed internet as bringing in big manufacturing or those types of industries to the area or or is it going is it going to be something else that allows for economic development? I don't personally I don't really see the city of Athens um, becoming a big manufacturing hub. It, it, it once upon a time it certainly was um, you know with the Athens block um, brick production here as well as as uh, you know, harvesting clay and so on and so forth. So, but I, 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 I my belief for the city of Athens is, um, you know, we've got um, a very important, you know, Mac University right here, um, and so I see us not really kind of. And, and with that, what I'm getting at is, we've got this just wealth of intelligence, uh, not just in the faculty, but in the students that are being graduated or students that are students uh, and, you know, uh, thinking of doing different things. I I could see more um, along the lines of, I was just approached the other day, is there a possibility or real estate within the Athens city limits to build a distribution center? Um, Distribution centers need um, high-speed broadband because of the orders. The, again, if you look at something like Amazon, Amazon couldn't exist if it wasn't, you know, working in the gigabyte world. Uh, there's just too much going on. Um, you know, could you imagine, I think YouTube may have experienced this as trying to download, stream a movie, and you just don't have the capacity and everything is stalling on you every, mm-hmm. <laughs> every 10, 15 minutes. That's not productive, and that's just for leisure, you know. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at take that into the business realm, that's when you know. That's when someone's going to turn their head and just go, "Well, you just don't have what we need." So I see distribution centers. I can see again um, us being more of uh, more of a high tech city, and that that could develop. Um, I think a lot of our on the tech end, um, you don't necessarily need a huge footprint in terms of space um, to to work in. I think that a lot could be done. Uh, with share spaces, um, I, I've mentioned this before um, on various shows as well as on city council and other places. Is you know the armory. You know the armory is an interesting building on the the, the north end of Court Street. Uh, it's seventeen thousand square foot of space, and it would really open up a lot of possibilities for multi-use in that particular building. Um, if we were to have fiber that ran up to that building and be able to to provide, um, you know, data streaming in the gigabyte realm. So. Gotcha. Uh, I wanted to change gears just a tiny bit. Uh, so we're talking about an infrastructure of technology, but, um, you know, the distribution center would need water, would need power, all that stuff. Um, I was thinking about when at city council, the most recent city council committees, you were talking about how expensive these power outages have been. We've had a few power outages. And I get notifications from the emergency alerts, the Nixle, about boil orders at least once a week. <laughs> sure. So sure. is there – how do you weigh, you know, wanting – obviously wanting to move into the future to have this technology where we also have 100-year-old pipes? We also have um, electric poles that, you know, need work. How do, we, how do we weigh the stuff from the past that we have to f- keep fixing and the – putting it into the future and getting the technology we need. You, you do it in parallel. Uh, I understand what you're saying. You know, we do have some some uh, old infrastructure, but I will say that other than what happened on West Union not too long ago where we had a rather large main that, mm-hmm. that ruptured, uh, again, still looking into how that happened, but but it was repaired. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the power, on the power end, um, you know, I have communications with the regional representative for AEP, which is our primary power supplier in, in the city of Athens uh, and beyond. Um, and really, um, from my seat, my vantage point is really pushing that they'd be proactive in terms of identifying earlier on, you know, hot spots, you know, mm-hmm. and, and not waiting for that power outage. Don't wait for that transformer to blow. Don't wait for that cross member to, to snap or whatever. Right. Uh, and, and 
to some degree as well, and this is something that a lot of people don't like to, some people don't like hearing, but, you know, there is also having to mitigate, you know, the occasional tree that can fall down on. So there has to be a, you know, a, a tree trimming schedule that goes forward mm-hmm. um, so that that doesn't happen. Um, but also, you know, again, along those same lines, kind of pushing AEP to say, you know, do all your lines necessarily have to be above ground? You know, at what point do you find that, man, this this circuit just keeps getting hit and hit and hit? You know, well, we can, you know, denuder the whole hillside and it's going to look terrible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, versus is there, you know, is there a cost effectiveness uh, of of starting to bury some transmission lines? But but again, so I guess my point being is that I I – you know, kind of operate in the traditional utilities realm to to make sure that we can um, strengthen our electric circuits, our water delivery, as well as receipt of water, uh, storm drains. You know, you've seen and probably heard a lot of utility work in the residential neighborhoods, mm-hmm. um, but also um, when we have the opportunity and we we think that that uh, we're getting close to the time to replace. Um, a main or some laterals um, further out, say on East State Street or something like that, that we, we do it. Um, you know, there wasn't a water line break on Grand Avenue, uh, Grand Park, um, when we did the repaving last year, but we just decided, you know, it's it's better not to repave a street, just to dig it up, you know, a year <laughs> later because you do have a break. So again, I have to give a lot of credit to our city engineer for, for monitoring and, and kind of knowing when is the right time to go ahead and start replacing, whether it's residential or it's in the in the business sectors or quarters, um, that we do things like that. Is there like a, a, a master plan, a strategic plan for that that you guys have? There is. And again, that falls under the wheelhouse of engineering and public works. Um, and they do um, really well keep track of kind of repeat areas where, you know, in this particular neighborhood or in this particular, you know, business corridor, we're seeing a lot of kind of uh, random or reoccurring waterline breaks that they'll go in and make some repairs, uh, you know, and again, get out ahead of it to sit there and, and mitigate those. Uh, but there is a, a strategic plan. There's also, I mean, it's a strategic plan for the street repaving program. Uh, it's a scale that goes from, you know, nine uh, all the way down to one. Nine is a brand new street that has been <laughs> built from the bottom up. Good example to give you for that would be the new McKinley Avenue extension, Stimson Avenue roundabout. Uh, as uh, uh, I drove that for the first time. It's beautiful. It is. Isn't it, though? Uh, still some de- roundabout. Del- <laughs> still some <laughs> things to do. Still yeah, right. detail work. Yeah. A lot of detail work. Um, and uh, I will say this is that um, – McKinley Avenue (laughs) extension is uh, likely to be open next week, uh, mid to late next week, which is great. We're we're really looking forward to that. But uh, my point being, that would be a number that that would be number nine on the scale. Number one would be like a dirt goat path. Um, Mm -hmm. We don't have many of those in the city. Um, I guess maybe we have. (laughs) (laughs) Now that you say that on air. (laughs) Then uh, after so anywhere in between, what we try to target. Uh, is is anything um, that is in that four or less range is becomes the high priorities and a three becomes a real high priority. We, you know, uh, for uh, neighborhood streets um, and and high frequency streets, we really don't have any twos and I, we don't have any ones. Um, but but threes and fours, those tend to fall into our annual street repaving process again, and that's just for repaving. But once and again. You know, if if we know, uh, and again, this is strategic, if uh, Andy and uh, the assistant uh, 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 director for engineering and public works, Jessica and I, and if they're looking at it and they go, you know, we are going to, uh, this street is on the repaving and we do know that there's a, a, a main that's underneath there. They know, you know, roughly what the date of that is and that they make that determination. Should we feed this into the costs? Um, and, you know, use EPW dollars to go ahead and replace that water line as well. So EPW? Engineering and Public Works. Okay. So you talked a little bit about, for Athens, the key sort of like the, the center of, of opportunity seems to be revolving around the orbit of the university, um, which, is, which is good. Um, but is is that a, a la- an imbalance there? How do you also attract other businesses if 
if that's important, uh, one. And two, how does that, the balance between, I want to say the town and gown divide, but the, the city-county divide, right? If, if Athens is in its, it's I, you know, we refer to the, the bubble, right? The Athens bubble. Mm-hmm. And if you're putting a lot into more into sort of like stuff that revolves around the university, because lots of opportunities here sure. be, because of, of where we are, but that further sort of can ex- exacerbate that city-county divide. And how do you how do you work with the county level of government? How does that all play? Do you think that relationship, or how would you like to see it sure. so that we all come? You know, we can all lift ourselves up, not just sort of like the city versus the county. No, I agree with you one hundred percent. I you know I I see a lot of. Uh, interesting assets that are all throughout the county, you know, not to forget Hawking College, um, you know, and um, some of the other resources that we see in Nelsonville. Uh, you know, I see interesting uh, elements all throughout the county itself. I think that one thing that could really help pull us together um, is to not think of broadband just going, oh, let's just bring the, you know, high speed broadband into Athens, you know, or, you know, Massive fiber in the city of Athens. I see that it's spreading out throughout the entire county. Um, you know, we have I've, the other uh, individuals who have been involved in these conversations are the county commissioners. Uh, they see it and know it too. Um, I've spoken to Dr. Betty Young at Hawking College about not so much with broadband, but with another topic I want to get to, which is my second on the list. Actually, it's in my list of to dos. Um, but uh, I think that you 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 partner outside. Get out of your silo. You know, and I really don't like using that term because I used to maintain nuclear warheads and go down in those silos back in the day when I was in the Air Force. That's a whole other story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. someday we'll talk about that. But I, a bookmark you know, in that yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> 23 years uh, in the military. Anyway, um, is, uh, you know, working together as a collective as opposed to just working within your own, you know, domain per se. Um, I have been working, again, this is the other topic I wanted to just kind of segue right on into when it comes to shared resources or partnering, collaborating, is transit. Um, I think that we could really do, uh, um, really enhance economic development, education, medical services, um, you know, providing access uh, for those uh, who may not have a vehicle, you know, so it kind of cr- it crosses all, I, I believe, would cross the spectrum of social economic status. Because um, access to transportation or lack thereof can significantly impact your ability to get yourself out of poverty. Mm-hmm. It could. And it, yes, I mean, it's it, one of the it can yeah. and it will. Um, and being strategic about that, I've had a multitude of conversations. So, so transit's my other uh, item that's way up on my list. Um, Michael Lockman, who's the director for Athens Public Transit, and I meet regularly. Um, and one of the things that I have kind of pushed him on is, as you know, we have a bus route that goes to uh, from Athens and it goes through Chansey, uh, then through the Plains and back into Anth- Athens, which has been a big success. That was piloted several years ago when I was on council. Um, council took a gamble and said, yeah, as did the mayor Weil. And we extended that service out and the ridership um, almost right away was, was substantial. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, again, um, when I took office as mayor and, and before that, um, I had been engaged with conversations with uh, the then city manager of Nelsonville, um, Gary Edwards, and we'll continue with Chuck Bargy, um, but also, as I mentioned, with Dr. Young. Um, I've spoken to several of the business leaders in Nelsonville. Uh, I have spoken with um, the president of Oblinus Hospital um, and representative uh, of Ohio Health, uh, Mark Seckinger, in looking at, you know, healthcare providers and how we can weave this whole thing together. Um, and I just recently had a conversation with one of the council members in um, uh, in Albany. Uh, and as you know, and I've also for a long time been talking as as mayor talking with, um, uh, you know, past president Roderick McDavis, as well as the new president, um, Dwayne Nellis, um, and having OU 
see how this could work. And what would be really interesting is that Michael kind of mapped out the, the, the possibility, put together a template that we could do this where we, if there were two buses that were opposite each other, we could have hourly service that goes all the way from Albany and really all the way to the OU airport through Albany into the city of Athens and then out 33 past Wayne National Forest, which is another partner, possible partner to make this happen, and then on into Nelsonville. Um, and work it through, you know, and have this thing flowing to where on the hour you're opening doors that for individuals you know, they may not, not otherwise, you know, be able to uh, seek employment in other cities, in other municipalities. Um, again, you can transfer credits from Hawking College to OU and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Go to you know, doctors, go to the hospital. Doctors do is thing. a big one. Yeah. Uh, I'm a huge uh, – I have two five-and-a-half-year-old twin daughters, and mm-hmm. I always look at the opportunities that they have, um, you know, during the summer months when people are always looking for something, you know, to, to entertain your children, right? And I kept thinking, you know, there's what, there's kids on campus. And how mm-hmm. interesting would it be if a, a parent could put their child on the city bus – uh, and, you know, and if we could come up with a price point that would be substantially less than, say, adult ridership and be able to hop that bus and come into the city of Athens and attend kids on campus or go to a movie or go to the pool, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's a lot. And I think transit transit's another that's another, you know, so big point in terms of the transit. I mean, you guys are doing that pilot program where it's uh, if you've got an OU student ID or staff ID, sure. it's free. Number one, why do that? Number two, that can't be sustainable for to, to keep that cost free um, to to fund the transit system. And three, just a pet peeve of mine, I would love to take the bus into and to, to and from work every day, but where I'm located in Athens, because I work late, I can't get that bus back. <laughs> and my, and oh. at that city council meeting, Michael Lockman was talking about the volume that we've seen from this improvement in, in this uh, agreement and seeing how there's actually buses filling up <laughs> there is buses filling up and atisha I, I empathize with you i've heard that before and as a matter of fact on monday night uh because the it's so because the route up. the late routes are for, are so uh, uh, understandably so focus on areas where students are living and, and more densely populated with students but the minute you sort of pass that threshold it's like certain services are or, or go down right, right. the access to it etc right. which is a, i think a big issue just in terms of again that city county divide in some ways right. mm-hmm. you know i'll share this with you the the um the fares, the cash box, you know, the fares that come in, you know, is is one piece of this puzzle. The other is subsidy. You know, quite honestly, um, Ohio University subsidizes the Bobcat Pass, um, and I think that's a wise investment. And it's been really encouraging to see at least um, three increases um, in uh, over the course of the Bobcat Pass being as successful as it is because yeah, the buses are filling up. Uh, and that's a testament to those who are riding. Plus, it's a testament to people leaving their cars at, at home or a student leaving a car, you know, not driving it in because that has an impact on parking uh, with the limited parking that exists anyway. Um, we love summer parking in Athens mm-hmm. <laughs> outside of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The city of Athens uh, subsidizes, you know, a, per, a certain percentage of uh, the revenue that comes in. Um, does go that to Athens. Is that always going to have to sort of be the model is a little bit of subsidy to support the transit system because the threshold to get ridership to the point where it can be self-sustaining is not going to be there, one, but two, the other benefits, environmental, crowd, et cetera, just make sense for that sort of investment to happen. Yeah. I mean, I think a level of sustainability is you have to have it. And I think that from from uh, my point of view, and I believe from my predecessor's point of view, is that you know it's essentially it's a service. It's a service that that we're willing to make sure you provide. You know, and it's it's a very successful one in the city. And Atisha, I, I apologize for that not fitting your schedule. Just, uh, we'll uh, work on that in the future. But <laughs> we'll please, I would like to. I would like to save the planet and not have to yeah, drive my yeah, truck yeah, yeah, yeah. the I two miles. I would just like to be into, able to sit there and town. read a book. <laughs> Right, I mean, the the right. bus ride would probably take me, you know, two minutes. Two minutes. I could listen maybe tenth of a, of a podcast. But the idea of not having to drive in and find parking and all this yeah. would be nice. But you know, you can help save the planet by riding a bike. 
Ooh. I know I could, and that's yeah. in and, the wintertime, though. Susan, you can't read a book when you're riding a bike, so. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. I could try. I, I mean, could, don't, do it. Jury don't or, do it. Jury rig something. But, like, I live in the plains, so riding the bus would be a significant savings for me. You know, it would be a savings, but, uh, you know, with the, the bike path spurs that are that we're seeing peeling off all the time, um, you know, that I think access is there. Uh, I want to share, if I can. Speaking, since we're talking about bike paths, this is brand new, so hot off the mm-hmm. press. Um, I'm, I'm really excited to, to talk to you two about this. You're in the money, huh? We are. We, <laughs> how did you know? I read. Do you? We uh, were just notified uh, recently that the Transportation Alternatives Program, which is under Ohio Department of Transportation, has funded Phase 3, the Northwest Bike Path Spur Phase 3, which is project what we received is three hundred and eleven thousand dollars and 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 then some uh to build this final phase that is what's interesting about it is when the university estates project that whole development when that was going on city council in 2000 um this was something that was on their radars you know how can we make a bike path spur that goes all the way up there and we'd gotten as far as you know to armitage road right near little fish Mm -hmm. uh brewing company but the last hurdle was to get up the hill and up to uh, the, the main road that runs into University of States, UE. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now we have the funding for that. We've, done, we've already secured all the right-of-way for this bike path. We've done the planning for it uh, and know the design. So um, uh, the, the funding will be state fiscal year 2019. Uh, but since we've done a lot of the work, um, there's a small possibility that we could actually be working on it sooner but it's exciting uh, mm-hmm. to, to be able to launch this and and uh, again it's it's enhancing our bikeability throughout the city of Athens I was looking at the press release that's what I'm looking at oh they're also doing connect, connecting the village of Chansey bikeway um, so we have even more that's cool too yeah that that's phase one mm-hmm. um, for essentially getting it in time, you know, up into the wane. Um, mm-hmm. If they, you know, and I think it'll happen if this uh, six thousand acre, you know, mountain biking facility or whatever you want to call it ends up up there. This this helps gain access to the Big Bailey. And that's a kick for tourism too. It's totally a kick for mm-hmm. tourism. Which spurs economic development. Yeah, <laughs> brings us full circle. Full circle. <laughs> well, we obviously have plenty more we could be talking about. But we're so we'll out of have time. to. Ha- we'll have. Yeah, we're out of time. But we'll have to have you back in. I um, would love to. Anytime. Anytime. Mayor Steve Patterson, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Coming up, our chat with Jan Griesinger. Well, we've had workshops on everything, such as the most recent one we had was welding. Okay, welding is not a skill that women have ever learned. Jan Griesinger is a pioneering figure in the modern history of Athens County. She's been a tireless advocate for women's and gay rights for decades, creating and nurturing so many organizations that if we listed them all in this episode, it would be about an hour longer. Griesinger is also one of the most complex individuals in Southeast Ohio. She's an ordained minister and a card-carrying lesbian. We wanted to bring her in to find out what she thinks of the current political climate, find out more about her work with the Susan B. Anthony Memorial Unrest Home Women's Land Trust that she co-founded, and what she feels is needed in the 457 SEO. My name is Jan Griesinger, almost age 75. Um, live out in rural Athens County at a place called the Susan B. Anthony Memorial Unrest Home Women's Land Trust, where we have a number of residents, um, campground workshops, um, various events to try to empower women. And I serve on the board of a local group called the Appalachian Peace and Justice Network and do a lot of their bookkeeping of technically their treasurer, um, also the treasurer for the Women's Land Trust, um, also work for a national organization that just had its national gathering, which happens about every two years in Tampa, Florida, called Old Lesbians Organizing for Change. The big question we ask uh, individuals, what we're trying to learn is 
what does Southeast Ohio need and how do we get it? Well, what it needs is, of course, a better economic system so that we don't have so many poor people whose only choice is to sell drugs or sell their bodies or something. And yes, obviously, this is a big issue nationally as well as locally. But um, yes, the whole economic system we have here, of course, is mostly the university. And no, this is not where a lot of poor people can come and work, maybe if they clean dorms or something. But so yes, I think that's the big issue. And no, there's no quick fix for it. Um, But my line is we have the best government money can buy, and until we get rid of the economic system where big business controls every election, we're not going to help poor people. Poor people don't give money to politicians. We've seen a lot of debate on the presence of religion in the country and its role on influencing policy and national unity. What do you think religion's role should be? Well, um, various religious groups, of course, are very different. You'd find ones that are far, far, far right, ones that are far, far, far left. So religion, you know, spans the spectrum. Um, I think, um, you know, again, if I think you're paying attention to the kind of Christianity that is, in fact, biblical, then yes, you have to worry about things like poverty things like rape and sexual assault against women. Well, um, of course, we have a separation in the United States between religion and, you know, lots of other things. Um, Religious groups are all over the map. Um, Within each religious tradition, you'd find people from one end of the political spectrum to the other. Um, And, of course, religion is much smaller factor than it used to be. Every religious group that I know has less and less and less members than it did 20, 40 years ago. Um, So, um, yes, I think if religious people are paying attention to things like justice, like equality, then yes, speak up. But of course, if they're on the opposite side of that, no, I don't want them to speak up. So, You were the director of United Campus campus ministries in the 70s, an ordained reverend. Um, What would you say is the state of Christianity in America today? Well, um, it's all over um, like it's been. Like I said, the numbers are shrinking. Um, You know, the big First United Methodist Church that's within the block here, yes, it's a huge, huge, huge building. No, I haven't asked them for sure if they have more members or less than they did 10 or 20 years ago, but almost every church does. Um, My impression is that this, most of the Christian tradition is not particularly appealing to to people in their teens, 20s, 30s. Um, The churches that I think are the most useful and helpful are the ones that are speaking out for justice and equality and freedom and fairness. A big part of your identity is, from what Susan has told me, I don't mean to be presumptuous, um, is being a lesbian, uh, along with being a religious leader. Uh, How do you balance those two, and how do you feel about people in national authority who say they are Christians not advocating for gay people? Well, I've been involved for probably over 40 years in a group that's connected to the United Church of Christ, the United Church of Christ Coalition for LGBT Concerns. Um, And yes, for many years I worked with it much more closely. Now I'm a little more distant from it um, just because it's dropped down a little bit on my priority list. But, um, you know, of course, the main point of such organizations is give support to the individuals so they can go back home, try to deal with their family, try to deal with their church, try to deal with their employer. Um, And, um, yes, um, I think it's it's not all um, clear what can go where. You are one of the co-founders of Subama, which is the Susan B. Anthony Memorial Unrest Home Women's Land Trust, shortened down to Subama. <laughs> yes. 
So can you talk a little bit about why you decided to start that and, you know, how it's come through the years, how what it's become as, as we've gone through? Well, of course, part of it was beautiful country land here in Athens County. And yes, being able and yes, the old farmhouse where I live, you know, steep uphill, steep downhill to the creek. Um, but yes, I have a good flat space for my garden. Um, so the idea was originally sort of to move um, just to get a beautiful country place. But then since the other co-founder and I had long histories in the feminist movement, of course, we immediately started inviting women to come there. Well, then eventually, yes, we got a campground system set up. Well, yes, eventually we got a gas stove and a gas refrigerator, which no one's ever heard of in the campground mm -hmm. um, because the property has gas on it. and. You know, of course, they say we get free gas. Well, no, they get free gas. They steal the gas. They just give us enough for the house and the mm -hmm. campground. When, when did it start? So, um, well, we actually started working on it in the late 70s. Um, no, I didn't look to see exactly which year it was officially incorporated, but yeah. I think that was in the 80s. Um, and yes, very soon. Um, we got a group from Columbus that um, sort of a 12-step alcohol drug recovery group from Columbus called Women's Outreach to Women that came every Memorial Day, every Labor Day. They still do um, because it's safe space. It's beautiful space. There's big campground for them to put up their tents, you know, use the refrigerator, the stove, all the dishes, swim in our pond, which, yes, we have a wonderful pond to swim in. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of other similar types like this around the country? Oh, they're all over the country. Um, there's a whole magazine that does focus on, you know, women's land communities. And, well, it's changed a little bit over the years. But, um, um, yes, there are several others of these in Ohio, not in southeast Ohio. Mm -hmm. They're up farther north in the central part of Ohio. And yes, of course, over years, they all evolve and change. And so. and so what was the inspiration? Why did you want to start this up? Was it um, to have your own land, to, to do something greater than that? Well, yes, I think, um, as I said, the feminist movement, of course, pushed us to do things to benefit women. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, the fact that you know, I can't tell you exactly how the original connection was made, but since all the women that come down from the group twice a year are all from Columbus, um, it connected the urban and the rural. Um, and yes, to just, you know, okay, so this land was purchased 150 acres at a silent auction for $46,000. That wouldn't happen now. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, once the land was purchased, it's like, okay, well, how can we use the land to benefit women? And so yes, over many years, a number of various women have lived there, moved, more women came, so. Mm -hmm. And how has it evolved over the years? I'm sure there's been changes. I saw that um, there's nine on the governing board, nine women on the governing board. Um, a lot of them don't live there anymore. Is that a change, or has no, it always no, been? No, the majority have never lived there. We wanted to make sure the majority on the board were non-residents. Oh, okay, gotcha. And why was yes. that? Well, just so the bigger picture, you know, to not just only have, obviously, the first few years, only the women that lived there were it. But once we incorporated, of course, when you incorporate, become tax-exempt, you have to follow certain policies. Mm -hmm. And so... I, I don't know, maybe it would be okay if all the board members lived there, but no, that's never been our choice. We always wanted women outside to have the bigger picture. Gotcha. So as far as Southeast Ohio goes, what unique things do you think and do you think Subama adds to Southeast Ohio to help them improve throughout into the future? Well, of course, Southeast Ohio is not the most wealthy, most economically you know, sound part of the place. Obviously in Athens, yes, Ohio University pretty much is the big picture. Um, and of course, yes, a lot of people work in the coal mines who don't now. 
And yes, it's not like those people could easily find some other job. And of course, all the all the other things connected, racism, sexism, whatever, yes, all those affect, you know, how well people's lives can go. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, yes, because we're a nonprofit tax exempt, we're not allowed to, you know, donate to candidates or take political action directly to parties. But yes, we've always, well, we've had workshops on everything, such as the most recent one we had was welding. Okay, welding is not a skill that women have ever learned. Um, and we've done everything from ageism. That's one of the things I work on, the idea that old is a four-letter word, that we're all supposed to look young, think young, act young, be young. So yes, that's that's a serious issue that old women face. Um, and yes, we've addressed racism, obviously things like war and, you know, military um, racism. Well, and then, you know, very practical workshops about carpentry or and yes, some various women helped us actually build some of the buildings that are there. And yes, there's a lot of photos of them up on a tall ladder working on a roof. So yes, it gave a lot of women practical experience and skills. And I know that there's a focus on ecology that comes with Subama. Um, why did you decide that that was an important part of it? I mean, why is sexism an issue? It's an issue. Why is ecology an issue? Because obviously, all of our cars are, you know, messing with the air and the ground is getting who knows what all put in it. So um, I think just sustainability of the earth is a big picture. So. Mm-hmm. And as far as your identity goes, you're uh, a lesbian, you're a woman, um, you're a reverend. <laughs> Do you feel like this this area particularly and this nation is do you feel safe in the nation or what do you think needs to change to make people feel more safe um well obviously in 30 or 40 years this whole issue has changed a lot um you know yes people are out much more and you know yes there's you know policies ohio university doesn't discriminate you know there's all these policy changes um well, for instance, Columbus has a pride parade every year. Yes, our group goes that, well, not sure I've said the name of the group, but yes, we have the t-shirts, Old Lesbians Organizing for Change. And so, yes, that's not controversial being part of the pride march, but sometimes people we walk by go, you know, what? <laughs> um, so again, it's, you know, the word OLD um, obviously is, is a big one. Um, so, well, yes, actually, there was a pride rally here on campus a couple months ago that I spoke at and said the same thing. And, of course, I'm very popular with doing chants, so <laughs> I did that. We're people. We're here. We're fabulous. Don't mess with us, which was the women's favorite march, take back the night march mm-hmm. thing years ago. We're women. We're here. We're fabulous. Don't mess with oh, yeah. us. Um, and so, yes, I've adopted that. Um, in many ways. Um, so. And do you feel like that's something that more nationally has been taken up as women try to, you know, like you said, are building more skills like welding that they do at Subama? Do you think women are taking up more of that ownership? Yes. No, I haven't read any research. Who is looking at exactly how many more women are at the top of leadership in this country than they were? Um, Obviously, a lot more women are working, you know, in Congress doing this and that, um, learning skills, you know, contact. Of course, the key thing is who do you know? Who do you know? Who knows who you know? Then that's how you get a job. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yes, in some ways, um, well, in some ways women are safer. In some ways, no. I think sexual assault and rape figures are going up on campus and everywhere. Mm-hmm. So apparently, what does that mean? It means that men do not want women to be uppity and aggressive. <laughs> You've been mentioning there. there's a stigma attached to aging and being old. It, it, yes. it seems in society, older men 
are more empowered than older women. You you mentioned that uh, the the thing is be young, be act young, and think young. Uh, why do you think that is, and what do you think society can do to empower um, older women? Well, obviously, hair color is a big thing. You know, dye your hair, mm-hmm. um, fix your body. You know, make this and this look like this and this. Um, I mean, no, since I don't hang out with old men a lot, I can't say exactly how they deal with ageism. Um, But, you know, as long as everybody's marketing cosmetics and clothes and hair dye and all that, no, they're going to try to make us all look young. Um, So, no, I'm not sure if I have an answer to the second part of the... Um, no, I don't think this whole issue is getting better. Um, is it getting worse? Well, I don't know because very few places old people come together, men and women, to talk about how they're treated. Um, and of course, women is oh, here, honey, let me help you carry that. That happens to me every day. Mm-hmm. Oh, honey, let me open the door for you. Students are feeling useful when they do that. Mm-hmm. And no, they don't think it's insulting, but the assumption is, of course, well, all of us want to do useful things, so yes, they like to feel useful, but the assumption is that, no, I can't do it myself. So, As far as state government, national government, do you feel like you're getting represented? Generally not. Occasionally some wonderful bill comes up, introduced by somebody. Sometimes it passes, mostly not. But no, I have been involved much more with justice organizing work and not with state and national government mm-hmm. work. So. Okay. And, and no, I, of course, I'm not happy with the White House. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you feel that you could be better represented? What, what could improve about just even locally? Again, my line is we have the best government money can buy until we change the system, until we get rid of things like Citizens United, which allow big corporations to give bazillions of dollars. We're not going to get anything we want. And no, I don't see a huge sense and huge movement to do that. I mean, everybody sort of knows that, but no, people don't see any solution, don't see any fix, you know. And no, obviously, I don't think the Supreme Court's going to get rid of those rules. And, you know, Congress, <clears throat> to get reelected, yes, they have to keep appealing to the big corporations that give them money. So mm-hmm. systems messed up big time. It's a never-ending cycle. And no, I don't think anybody's come up with any good fix. Um, yes, there is a organization, national organization called End Citizens United, which, you know, is looking at that big picture. But What do you say to younger women that are going to be, when they're your age, what do you hope that they have done? (laughs) (laughs) Well, of course, um, those of us with race and class privilege, you know, always hope, think that our lives can go the way we want. If I choose to do this, if I choose that, if I choose this, that yes, we'll want to go that way. Um, I think just, you know, that it's important for people to understand this idea, ageism. What is it? What's wrong with it? Um, You know, to think about how they're reacting individually, maybe to their grandparents or people in their life. Um, And, you know, yes, of course, it would be wonderful if hordes of young women, young people would get involved to end ageism, but I don't think that's going to happen because, no, they don't experience it. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, some white people who don't experience racism have been involved in that, and yes, obviously a big mess going on right now about what happened on the East Coast, but, yeah, no quick fix. Ms. Griesinger, thanks for visiting with us, and uh, we hope you come back. (laughs) And that does it for this episode of 457 SEO. Our thanks again to Jan Griesinger and Athens Mayor Steve Patterson. 457 SEO is produced by the WOUB News Team and recorded in the WOUB Public Media Telemix Studio. 
Our original music is produced by Nathan McGuire, thanks to him. And our producer is Adam Rich. Our editor-in-chief is the all-powerful Allison Hunter. Aaron Payne is our editor. You can find 457SEO on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and woub.org slash listen, or just search woub.org for 457SEO. Remember to leave us a five-star review as it helps other people find the podcast. Leave us a comment while you're at it, as long as it's constructive, and let us know what you want to hear on future episodes. Again, thanks for listening. I'm Aaron Payne. I'm Atish Baidya. And I'm Susan Tebbin. Bye. Thanks. Cool. And this is the part where we talk and the person we do. <laughs>